This is it. <laughs> this is it. This, this is the end. Hey, bye. Right, thanks for thanks for three years. Yeah. All right. Let's put on our rings of invisibility, disappear, and head off to Rivendell. If you've made it this far, thank you. You all have. This is more for us than it is anybody else. In fact, it is. we should just stop talking to the audience because uh, every time you talk to them directly, Franks, we lose a subscriber. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Good. It's just something about the eye contact and feeling like he's talking to me personally that I just leave. <laughs> I would too if if I made eye contact with myself. That's why I don't look in the mirror very often. Because every time I do, I stop and I stare at myself. And it's like that. If you ever seen a gorilla facing a, a mirror for the first time, it's very similar to that. I, I need try to, to find answer. need to find the video where it's, it's the um. It's the gorilla in the zoo, but he looks like he's really thinking about something. Like he's even scratching his chin and he's just looking off in the distance. And somebody did like a, a monologue, um, internal monologue of what he's thinking about. And it's just about how like skink. I bet King Kong didn't have any fucking friends. I got more <laughs> friends than that fucking guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he lives under the earth. What a fucking weirdo. Uh-huh. And, and he's huge. You know, can't well, have friends when you're that big. If you're up to date on your 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 monster verse legacy Godzilla King Kong stuff, King Kong now uh, lives in the Hollow Earth. Not but I thought Hawaii. the Hollow Earth is like some sort of alternate dimension. I just yeah, it's bigger it's on the that, inside. It makes that's the sense. kind of vibe I got from it. You know, yeah. like ah. <laughs> uh, people watch that and they go why is there a sun down there and it's like this is a movie about giant monsters fighting each other this yeah. don't 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 think about it too hard is, is that really your biggest problem when there's a giant lizard fighting a humongous gorilla there's you know a really sun in the center of the hollow earth you know what pisses me off about that michael bay ninja turtles is like they're too big to fit in a sewer manhole cover <laughs> you know like it's true <laughs> it's true Bullshit. That's why they have storm so drains, guys. <laughs> they can't fit in a storm drain either. Why? I watched it. it. I know what can fit in there, and it's not yeah, much. Just Tim Curry and small boys. Yeah. You mm-hmm. can take a turtle and squish it down. It'll it dies. fit. <laughs> not a box <laughs> turtle. You squish turtles down. A box yeah. turtle will close its front. It's well, shitless. Flexible. One last animal, animal fact with Frank's. Tell us about box turtles and then their penis. We should have done a bingo card. (laughs) That would have been funny. All right. You got (laughs) to stick around for the next uh, adventure so that we can do uh, Frank's bingo. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, this will probably gain you all some more viewers. If anybody's still watching, I won't be here for the next adventure. The next campaign. We're going to know when. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying you guys are probably going to, you know. It's kind of sad. Have it a little streamlined, a little smoother. No, Matt's still here. It's not and streamlined. <laughs> We're also planning to to start a Pathfinder to an adventure, and none of us know the rules. I do. That I know will. rolling d20s is involved. D20s are involved. Uh, you have to roll them with your feet, though, so we might lose mahogany. She hates That's food. not true. Um, so many rules. feet on here. <laughs> Sorry. And natural twenties do still critical. You're success. just trying to you're just trying to pander to the show feet crowd. We all know what's going yeah. on. Yeah. 
You got to pick up the D20 with your foot, then put it in your mouth. That's quite enough. Thank you. you. (laughs) That would be on the bingo card. Mm. I have to leave, Frank. I have to leave. But no, we're working I, on. I, for um, one, am honestly going to miss you, Frakes. I really am. I feel like you're my favorite person to yell at me. I'll see you on Sun Saturday, whichever day we play. Yeah, you guys he's still on. He's still on Raiders of the Lark, and uh... yeah. All right, yeah. Come on. I'm nothing less than a galactic occurrence, revolution of the noble resurgence. I got nothing left but my skills and fame, celebrity corpse, you know my name. Vermin grind, pulling straight out the drift. Life on the run just cause my ex is miffed. Prince is still coming after me for leaving. Even while she's faking, she's grieving. She's skilled more spouses than a wet work tech. All cause she wants to keep people in check. Knowing damn well it's suicide to stay cause her daddy pays to keep the law away. Not scared of poison, garrote, or faulty nav system, or a barrel of acid. But Verlin Gride won't take that shit sitting back placid. You know. Yeah, there's no getting rid of him for real. <laughs> never. Never for real. The one that keeps coming back. And you're moving closer? Hopefully. Hopefully. In about eight Tell months or so. Six Tell months. I gotta find a job and a place. But uh, my plan is no. to get out of Florida. <laughs> well, you can be a bouncer. Just keep that I in mean, mind. Step one. Leave Florida. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Plan. Sure. I'm, I'm the plan watching. should be leave Florida. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the that's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> leave Florida. What we should do. You find a job. We've got a great action movie. We've already seen uh, Escape L.A. and Escape New York. Now, Escape, Escape Jacksonville, America. the Escape. most meth, meth uh, capital of the world. And it's just me driving in my Ford Escape. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to True Crime Podcast. <laughs> Trying not to get murdered on the highway just by people driving. By wearing your cozy sweater and sipping some Starbucks. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Maybe we could start that for movies. You know how movies, the, the score is really, like, the score sometimes is better than the movie. Um, yeah. What if we did a movie and the entire score was just true crime podcast? Like, there's no <laughs> real music. <laughs> Every scene opens up with the haunting sounds of somebody going, and then they found the body and a lake. Maybe not true crime podcast, but, like, every scene, like, having a, a the the podcast that kind of goes with what's happening. Like oh, that same, could be a good gimmick. Yeah. Like, like this one's a, this one's a, one of those chatting shit podcasts. And you're just like going to meet your friends in that scene. Just so long as and no then, music's involved. Yeah. None. Then we just got no country for old men. Right. Then it can't be a true crime podcast because those things are really overproduced with ominous music. <laughs> They have a lot of music, and it's usually like really ominous music. And it's like that's when thirteen files were lost. No one knew where they were, <laughs> and they searched for them for months until they uncovered them in someone's own basement. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a good way to make boring people sound exciting with exciting music going on behind. Why aren't we doing that? I don't know. I, I mean, do, and the sh- and the show <laughs> that you, that that I produce after we record this nonsense. I've don't never heard of us. It. I'm talking about for us. I don't give a shit about y'all. <laughs> you learned nothing in three years. <laughs> that might make me more inclined to stick around after my bedtime. I specifically didn't play music hoping you would leave two and a half years ago. 
<laughs> I wanted to, to lock in that uh, weekend game. How many times do I have to kill a Kage before this dude fucking <laughs> figures it out? But... <laughs> oh, this is a clip show ending. I didn't know. All right. <laughs> I, I don't know that you can be blamed for killing a Kage necessarily. Like, I think he killed himself many, many times. He was damn good at it. Operator like had enough for it to happen. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> well, since I've known this was ending soon, I've been relisted to it. I finished all the first season, and I'm like five episodes into season two, and uh, it's fun for me to listen to it, mostly. There are moments, and uh, <laughs> me and Mahogany met Terrence and Matt at uh, the bar here in town, and <laughs> I talked about it a little bit, about how all of y'all get on my nerves in one way, shape, or form at some hey. point. Hell uh, yeah. possibly get on your nerves. That's Listen to the last three seasons of this show. You'll hear it or at least see it on my face. <laughs> I mean, that's just the last episode, which I haven't uploaded for y'all to see yet. But um, Sonder, Sonder's character, you know, made the ultimate sacrifice to save this world. And when we when we kind of played out of that, uh, this is where you get on my nerves sometimes here. She immediately went, well, what about Dorian? <laughs> and we talked about Dorian for five minutes. Good. And Th- then that's what we... I'm here for. I'm repping the character I'm playing. I'm, <laughs> a, try... I'm a fan of <laughs> Dorian. <laughs> we tried to end the show and they're all talking. And I heard you say that you choked on your beer, but I didn't get to see it until I edited it. And you. <laughs> and immediately you just kind of half vomit onto yourself <laughs> that is the last episode that's the ending it is a zoom in of that <laughs> happening <laughs> no I was just saying what I was trying to say is that um, my summon would let me know that you know the threat up there is gone and yeah. obviously Nim got oh the shit beat out of him this time and so I coughed beer through my nose all right, good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's our oh, show. Wait. <laughs> We're not actually recording an epilogue tonight. I just wanted you to know I did that in person. Oh, well, thanks. I'm, I'm glad I left yeah, early from the bar. I might have stayed and drank after learning that. <laughs> so how do you hate us another way, Coker? I want to know. Oh, let's not. <laughs> let's go down the list. <laughs> Let's not go into that very long list and time-consuming uh, effort. <laughs> Again, there's three years of material. It, you, you can tell. <laughs> I think I've told everybody here to shut up at some point in time. That's the. I mean, that's how you play D and D. It's yeah. a small sub game of pissing off, pissing off the person running it. Yeah, unlike Munchkin, where the whole game is pissing <laughs> people off. It's uh. That was, it. was controlling the, the whole best the whole group. This is the only uh, the only group that lets you play with them still, right, Noob? Uh, this, you guys are the only group I've ever played with. Yeah, and you have a very skewed perception of uh, how to play. Uh, he's <laughs> if fortunate. You think. It's not skewed. It's... He's fucking fortunate. because Yeah, no, listen. Awesome. If you go to the Green Dragon, uh, all the other tables sounded like real nerds, and y'all were talking about normal <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, there'd be one table like, I summon a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I'm like, oh. I don't think we've ever talked about normal shit. 
I have learned so much weird shit in the last 10 years. From They're season. normal for noob. There's a scale. There's a scale to nerdiness. And um, I have been in groups where the scale was way higher than ours. And uh, now my cup of tea. I'm glad they've they've made this their whole personality in life and they're having a good time with it. But I, I can't. Um, which is why we're going to play Pathfinder 2. Because I tried to find some podcasts besides Glass Cannon where they play that game. And there are some fucking nerds. That play that game. <laughs> like just real nerdy nerds. Yeah, um, you're saying you want to bring our earthy uh, <laughs> kind of our earthy tone and texture. Yeah, our personalities into, into <laughs> a very nerd heavy space. So, I mean, when you say that, I mean, what do you, they're just like. I mean, they like they're almost like larping, or they like become their characters, or what's. Just Google uh, Sensei Ledoux needs bagel bites, and you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Sensei Ledoux, I'm Sensei Ledoux. That's I, I can't do it. Mikasa, I can't. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, where they're trying to like romanticize like other people at the table's characters. Yeah, now, I rolled a twenty, so you have to play into it. Like, no, your character, your character looks. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Not a fan. I'll play a clip from we played with uh, my buddy Josh and Max this past Tuesday, uh, last week, and uh, we reminisced at the beginning. It was <laughs> about where I went to one school, my brother went to a different school, and uh, I had a nerd group. He had a nerd group, and we thought, let's combine forces. Oh. Um, and it didn't go well. It was hilarious, but not in a in a in more of a look back hilarious way. What is going on here? Hi, can I help you? The name Sensei Ledoux. <laughs> Remember those nerds we played uh, vampire with? Yeah, <laughs> it was a kid named Bryce. And every time I see this video, I'm like, that was him. Is it, is it the one you body slammed? Uh, yeah, that's the one I think. No, Dustin body slammed one up. No, oh, Dustin did or whatever. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they even funnier because Dustin was so thin. <laughs> Dustin showed his ass. <laughs> he was like, "You want to take this outside and live action this? We'll larp. <laughs> we'll larp it." <laughs> Dustin slammed him on your picnic table, and he went, "Ah, not like that." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, there's, you know, there's just, there's, there's different gang groups up there and I hope people find their group. We found our group. Look at this. Look at our if, group. If you don't find a group that fits you, don't give up. There's plenty different dynamics. Um, you'll find the right group. Mm -hmm. One last pep talk from Franks. Thank you, Franks. Yeah. Maybe your group too will have a guy that will know. just talk about animal penises on and off for <laughs> the entirety of your friendship. Demand, <laughs> demand that he go to Betty Buy on time. Hey, <laughs> Betty Buy is fucking important, man. 
It really is. You wouldn't like me if I'm sleep deprived because I hate I don't myself. like you now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fine. I mean, that's acceptable. Well, let's make sure Frakes uh, doesn't have to stay up too late on this last one. And let's dive into the epilogue that is uh, Homebrew Detritus. Okay. Our Pathfinder 1E campaign. We, got, we need a recap. What happened? No. <laughs> but we all we all wrote stories. Yeah. Uh, and I've got, you, I've got you lined up. I've spliced the good ones in with the bad ones. I won't tell you who's who. That's Y'all fair. listed will figure it out. You'll I'm know. the bad one. I know who I am. <laughs> You'll know. I want you to read your name. Um, but I'll kick it off. Sonder is gone. Hitherto is missing. His Dorian sword clatters to the ground as the skin double fades away. Those left standing... Battered, beaten, and exhausted slowly come to grips with the massive power they've just defeated. They look up to the once blackened soul crystal hovering over the pit. The evil that once housed it drips off in terrible clumps, replaced by a strong firelight, a calming light. Across the Isle of the Dead, the walking corpses stopped and fell still once again. Gilgara. The dwarf smuggler rescued by the heroes of Yardum watched Lamansa vanish. When the goddess had initially arrived at the dwarven city, Gil thought their troubles would soon be over. But Lamansa hadn't been able to do much. Some healing and kind words, but she had resigned herself to the Chamber of Cromwell. Lamansa, the Glade, had brought them information, however. They now knew the Cromwell they knew was an imposter, an evil lich-like deity known as Ratatama. They knew his undead forces outside the dwarven doors would never stop if his power source was not found and destroyed. But then, the constant banging of the dead on the dwarven doors stopped, and Lamansa vanished. Inside the Yarnum castle, large, brown barn owl swoops in to land on the steps. A faint magical shimmer, and the owl is now tasked. One further magical hand gesture, and Dog appears at his side. They look at each other knowingly before heading inside. The thing laying and squirming on the throne would never be mistaken for Cromwell now. Rotatama, a small, impish abomination, claws at his own chest, looking for the power that used to be there before the heroes of Yarnum destroyed it. Without any ceremony, Tass walks up to Rotatama and begins to pull out his own left eye. The ancient artifact had been hiding away in plain sight. Sight. Tass smirks at the play on words. But it had been hidden away for nearly a century now. Coughing up bile, Ratatama speaks his final words. What are you? Tass places the small orb on Ratatama's forehead and whispers an ancient word. The creature screams in untold agony as he is absorbed into the artifact. Misunderstood, Task answers. Outside the castle, Task looks down to see the dwarven doors opening again. It will take time, he knows. But this world has time again. It has been made whole once more. Its creator, Lamansa, is free. And the goddess Serenray on the ultimate throne. Madeira will know peace for a time. 
and on these things Task now has time to ponder. A sonder ponder. He decides a walk would be nice. Aww. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Good. I like it. Oh. All right. Well, Mansa made the world. I, I get it now. Thanks. Thanks, Snoop. Remember oh, you, wanted something? That, you wanted that list? You just, you're, you're just now absorbing the lore of the... Oh. Oh, this is so fun. Kind of oh. an 11th hour kind of... All right. Let's keep the, the fun rolling then with uh, Sonder. Okay, then. Sonder hovered just above the ground, panting with the exertion of the spell. She had just willed an undead god's bones to shatter, and it had worked. She could barely believe it. It took every skill and boon she had gathered along the way, but it had actually worked. The once formidable creature began to crumple under its own weight, the unlife fading from its being. And as it faded, Saunders sensed that this was not only the end of the undead god, but the end of Rotatama's reign as well. The source of his power was Vanquish, and he was fading just as quickly. As she felt Rotatama's power fading, Sonder felt the familiar weight of all the promises she had made along the way begin to fall away as well. She felt lighter as she thought of the glade, once separated from her other half and bound to a tree, now released from her bonds and reunited with her darker half. She thinks of the network she left behind in Yarnum, Cuppy, and the other magical beings she had met there. She could sense that some had been lost, but her oldest friend had survived, and now, with Rotatama fading, would help lead the magical folk of Yarnum towards restoring peace and prosperity. She thought of her island home. The people there who were touched by magic at birth would no longer need to live in fear of Yarnum. The dreaded Lord Crom- The dreaded Lord Cromwell, who had feared their magic, was no more. Tears formed in her eyes as she thought of her father. The man had dedicated his life to his people, even to the detriment of his relationship with his only daughter. Now that all of this was finally over, they'd get to see what life was like without the pressure to protect their island. She could hardly wait to see him. She let out a little yip of excitement as she realized that he could finally visit her in Yarnum and see the life his girl had made for herself. She could show him the shop. Oh, how she missed perfectly normal antiques and pawn. She wondered if Cuppy had been able to keep it open or if she had to shut if she, or if she'd had to shutter it. She'd had to leave in a hurry and couldn't wait to get back to the business. Speaking of business, she assumed the ban on magical on magic would be lifted, which meant she could bring out items from her secret back room. She began to feel overwhelmed by the possibilities. Her mind raced with all the people and places she couldn't wait to see. She began to think of the shop and all the new and interesting inventories she had picked up along the way. She was making a mental inventory of her traveling companions' bits and bobs and trying to decide which were worth convincing them to consign through her shop when a familiar presence entered her mind. Child. It was her Lady Saren Ray. She knew it the moment she heard that voice. 
The weight of many promises had fallen from her, but when the, her lady spoke, she was reminded of one last vow. A wry, <coughs> a wry smile crept onto her face as she listened to her lady make her request. As the undead god was exiting the world, someone would have to replace it. If Sonder was the one to do so, then her lady would be able to return to this world. She didn't go so far as to demand that Sonder keep her promise. Nevertheless, the way forward was clear. The amount of good a reincarnated Lady Sarenrae could do was undeniable. Sonder, Sonder only wasted a split second feeling sorry for herself. She let the joyful tears that had fallen at the thought of her reunions that lay ahead now be joined by a few of their sorrowful brothers. Her eyes swept the battlefield, taking in the sight of her companions scattered around. She saw in her mind's eye the faces of her friends, of her family, of the many people she'd met along the way. And as she did, she was struck with the realization that each of these people was living a life as vivid and complex as her own, populated with their own ambitions, friends, routines, worries, and inherited craziness. Each an epic story that continues invisibly around her like an anthill sprawling deep underground with elaborate passageways to thousands of other lives that she'll never know existed, and which she might have only appeared once, as an extra sipping coffee in the background, as a lighted window at dusk, as a face behind a cash register, or a fiery blur passing overhead. She couldn't ask another to take on this responsibility. She knew as much now. Drying her eyes, she turned and nodded to her lady. I will do as you ask. She moved to the pulsing light that beckoned her from the remains of the undead god and stopped just before she reached it. She turned to take a last look at her friends below and smiled down at them. Just before she disappeared into the light, she sent a final thought through the mind ring and as a final kindness, her lady amplified it so that a single sentence could be heard by friends and family far and wide. I knew you all. It's sad. Deuces. <laughs> it's good. You read it very well. I like how there was, <laughs> there was no emotion behind that. It's like, I knew you. <laughs> I knew you all. So what you was that? You owe me money. <laughs> you know, my wife, I said, no. hello. There was more emotion behind that than you could imagine. Like, Oh, no, I know. I'm, I I'm feel just it. being yeah. an asshole. Like, what she was saying is like, yeah, like, she knew you. Like, whether it was for good or for bad. She's she talking knew. about me. <laughs> I think everybody's talking about you. Remember that <laughs> list? <laughs> See? This is perfect. This is spread out. Remember that list? Remember that right, list? Next person. So what was Cuppy? What was Cuppy as a creature? Did we ever discuss that? Cuppy was like a shapeshifter. Okay. Cuppy was a lot of people that people knew, but maybe by a different name. Okay, Different face. But Cuppy Cuppy was around. Presented Hmm? as a halfling? Cuppy presented as a halfling with that name, Cuppy? Elizabeth Cup and Spoon. She was a her dwarf. No, mm-hmm. I always just uh, assumed she looked human. Yeah, she looked humanoid. Like, um, in my thought. in my imagination, she looked like she could have been like Saunders' little cousin or something. Oh, okay. Like she was just 
Yeah. She was Saunders backup character if Saunders had died in this campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Congrats on uh, kudos to making through the whole the whole two years. Yeah, yeah, from, from the funny thing is one. I didn't know that it, that was not the end. I mean, I didn't know <laughs> that was the end when I was like when it was the end. I was uh very serious when I said I'm not making another character. <laughs> not coming back you won't see me again (laughs) (laughs) yeah but yeah it was cool though it was nice to uh it was it was cool and like i said i would i cried i don't know who saw it but if you didn't see it don't look for it but i cried (laughs) roll that clip when saunter died (laughs) i I seen it i didn't see it when it was happening i had to edit the show and i was like oh man she's this is a this is taking a toll. You cried when Akage died too, though. So like, I did. I don't yeah. know. Maybe you're just kind of a weeper, you know. Like I'm a sensitive <laughs> person. Wait, which like time? The first time he died. But just the first yeah. time. After that, <laughs> just the first was, time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you get one cry as an imaginary <laughs> person. From it's me. on you after that. That's after that, yeah. You had your chance. Because I just assumed you'd be back after that. <laughs> 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 Just yeah, waiting to hand was, me uh, that glade. That was the big druid ritual thing where uh, past brought him back, right? The first time, yeah, it was uh, the uh, <laughs> the giants uh, made his dick explode from oh, yeah. <laughs> the big punch, and I was reincarnated as a dwarf. Yeah, for basically the next half adventure before Terence's character killed him. In a back in a in a flashback story, without any conversation between he and I, did not collaborate on that at all. He just was like, "I want to read something. I kill your character and give him back your body." Okay, that was uh, nice. I've ended a few campaigns. This is the first one I've ever done recorded. And normally, when a campaign ends, we just sit out in the parking lot and talk about this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to have a, a way to like formally end one. Um, this is our funeral for the campaign. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's rare ending the actual ending of campaign is like getting to the end of a campaign is a is a rare thing that I've found mm-hmm. in the last ten or ten or twelve years. Mm-hmm. I'm, try- I'm trying to think. A lot of them I have have ended uh, because I was tired of them. Uh, <laughs> much like right. much like this one, uh, <laughs> just fucking over it. Uh, <laughs> but uh no a little it's just uh it gets it gets really bloated at these high levels and it's hard to 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 keep the story and the game cohesive mm-hmm. enough to keep going or yeah. the narrative uh progressing when it takes two hours to have one fight mm-hmm. yeah two hours it takes, takes like two weeks <laughs> that's just for y'all it takes a lot more to to build that all behind the scenes to make a mm-hmm. um a combat that's just you know thematic at least a little bit and challenging and you know yeah in high levels things are like save or die yeah which is one of the reasons i'm, I'm looking forward to going to pathfinder 2 but i'm, I'm going to misplay it in this world because this is i think like the third campaign i've run in this world really mm-hmm. but not on really this too. world in this universe the solar system or do you mean kind of kind of in this world, world or an alternate reality? Because the first time I played with Frakes, or we all played this 
very first Nerd Bowl was Wolfwood Keep. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, that's right. And then after Nerd Bowl, uh, I continued running that campaign on Saturdays for for uh, Frakes and Will and Jeff and Terrence eventually jumped in. Um, played in Sarah's Garage for, I think we ran that campaign for um, a year yeah, feel or late. so. And yeah. that one it ended. Oh, running shadow. That was fun. Yeah, that was a good time. Uh, and then I tried to do a, a time hop again, and that campaign got away from it. And then I jumped it into Starfinder, which also didn't end well. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, uh, speaking of, of uh, so I think Frakes has actually played in this in this world longer than anybody. Uh, and now it's your turn to read your Vladros's epilogue. Uh-huh. I'm not going to do this in, in voice because that would just be tedious. Oh, well, then what's the point? What? What's the point? <laughs> this is the last time. Seriously, you did it for three years. You can't do it for... Okay. Uh, okay. Hang on. Let me get the other... Do it a completely different... Razor blades! Do it! <laughs> Fight the fury of the annuals I did, Jamie. No. Uh... uh. Facing no, shrimp on the barbie, shrimp on the barbie. I started to go German on it, uh, <laughs> like Steven Seagal. Hang on, if he dies, he dies. There it is. Facing the fury of the enormous undead demigod, Vladros twisted his neck and rolled his eyes to regard his companions. Each one looked as haggard as he felt yet they had been more successful in their attacks than he. So far, every one of his attacks had all failed to so much as scratch the behemoth. Life leaked from his wounds in bright crimson streaks. His entire body ached and his movements felt sluggish and feeble. Ladro silently swore, even if it was to be his last act alive, he would carve his mark into this abomination's flesh. He clenched his jaw, twisted his torso, and prepared to slash again. In the space between heartbeats, the Lord of the Undead Isle, the champion of Ratatama, flashed in a brilliant blaze of divine light. As Vladro slumped in relief, the weight of his own body, almost too much for his muscles to hold up. With an exhausted smile and using his weapon to prop himself, he scanned the area to see which of his companions dealt the final strike on the demigod. His smile froze, then sagged into a grimace as he noticed. Sonder was gone. Without warning, without any sign of passing, she was just gone. Ledros's legs buckled, unable to support his weight any longer. He dropped to the ground and sprawled on his back, staring up at the sky. As he watched rays of brilliant sunshine seared through the churning dark clouds, the constant gloom began to break as the sky brightened. Did that mean they had succeeded? The world saved? Their task completed? Was Sonder's sacrifice worth it? As Vladros pondered the emblazoning sky atop that tower of evil and undeath, his mind was filled with the scents and sounds of a small forest clearing. His home. An almost crippling sense of longing clutched his heart, and tears trickled from the corners of his eyes. He wanted nothing more in this world than to see the faces of his mother and father. 
to wrap his arms around them and crush them tight to him. He scrubbed his tears with his battered forearm, just as he had done as a child, and laboriously climbed back to his feet. He had made his decision. The rest of the world could take care of itself. Vladros Bratva was going home. I'm going home. Mm. Nice. Hugh Motley Crew is home sweet home. Yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll check the page for out and see if we've got enough to nope. <laughs> the license mommy. <laughs> we do not. What about Ozzy? Mama! Mama! That's it. That's it. That's it. Stop. Stop. <laughs> that is not recognizable enough to get <laughs> any kind of copyright. It sounded like a bad country version of that song. Yeah, everything Mama. I sell, I sing sounds country, unfortunately. You've been in Florida too long. I hate it. You've got too much bayou blood water in your system. Say gator. Gator. <laughs> I was listening to uh one of our older episodes where we did this and we read stuff, and you we I was hoping you would do this again, but it, it didn't happen. Uh we got you to read it in Vladros's voice. And you said dick when you were dick. trying to say deck, mm-hmm. and all of our faces lit up like just waiting for you to be done with reading so that we can just tear into you about dick. <laughs> but no, nicely simple. done. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we started recording, Terrence assumed we were going to all, well, I was going to read everybody's, which would I mean not. y'all listening to me for, oh, you did. <laughs> I just, I just wanted it. Well, well, probably because you wrote the longest one, I think. I did. Did I? Oh, golly! I think you did. I think you beat. I think you beat Matt. It might just be the wide spaces. I don't know how you got wide rule on um, Google Docs, but you found it. I have wide rule. I just <laughs> I just leave spaces to break things up, so I don't like lose yeah. track. <laughs> well, I hope you're ready because uh, I've got you up next. Oh dear. Oh dear. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, I was hoping. Um, I meant to ask someone to read the other part, but so I'm not just talking to myself. But give me, give me, give me. You want to be Anubis? I'll be Anubis. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there it is. Let's do it. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, that's a good story. I don't want to do what you want. Yeah. No. Yeah. If you want me to, I will, and I'll be serious about it. I won't be weird. Uh, I don't. I don't care. I just. I mean. I just. You know. I can do it one way, and then if we if it doesn't work out, we can re-record it. No, I'm not going to listen to you read this twice. So uh, let's. Uh... <laughs> one take. <laughs> one take. All right. Do it in. Uh, do it in Vladros's voice. It was over. <laughs> there I was on dick. Just oh, on the dick, blowing in face. He just said, "Dick," supported by massive dick below me. <laughs> All right. Anyway, sorry. <clears throat> it was over. Somehow, after all this constant trouble, it was finally over. Over. <laughs> and yet, it wasn't. The only thing over was the threat. 
In the brief chaos that followed, he watched his twisted other half be devoured by shadows, Sonder becoming subsumed by the growing divine light, and the rest of his companions being overwhelmed by exhaustion and as for himself. The duplicate body created by the shred-skin cloak that he currently inhabited began to crumble, and soon he would become locked in that accursed sword again. He couldn't let it happen. He wouldn't. Thinking quickly, Dorian placed the blade under his foot, and he channeled the last of this form's strength, the last of this form's power, and all his own considerable will into one desperate gamble. The blade snapped. A smile spread across his crumbling face. And then the shred skin collapsed into a pile of flaking dust. Dorian was dead. Again. There was a brief, blissful moment of nothingness. Then Dorian opened his eyes. He was in a field of wheat. A bright sun shone overhead. And nearby he could hear the sounds of a river. A long shadow covered him. And Dorian turned to see a massive silhouette of a powerful man with the head of a jackal. Why? asked the Nubis. Why did you reject my gift? What? What am I doing here? I thought Phrasma was the judge of the dead. She is, and you have been judged. Your heroic deeds have just barely managed to outshine your darker ones, and you are here by my special request, as I know there were no gods coming to claim you. So before the psychopomps haul you off to whatever pleasant afterlife we both know you don't deserve, I wanted to know why. Why did you break the sword? Why did you reject my gift? Dorian's eyes narrowed in anger. Some gift? You stick my soul on a fucking sword? Something against your own faith's tenets? Then hand it over to some fey maniac who hijacked my body? An agent of the literal enemies of the gods and all their agendas for this world, by the way. Knowing full well that we're marching off to a place where we would probably die, except not me, who would just be a sword sitting on a ledge on a cursed tower or buried forever under a pile of mud and bodies. You ask me why? You seem upset. <clears throat> Dorian sighed and composed himself. This wasn't going to work if he lost control. I'm saying you play dangerous games for a god. Dangerous games are the only kind worth playing to a god. I thought that would be obvious. Anubis paused for a long time and then said, I feel we are finished here, don't you? Dorian crossed his arms and looked at the divinity Something was going on here. Dorian stepped out of the shadow of Anubis and walked around to get a better view. No longer hidden in silhouette, he can see the jackal-headed god's face. Placid? Stoic? No. He saw near twitch, the curl of a lip, little micro-expressions on his bestial face. Dorian forced himself to think. He cleared his mind and thought about the events that brought him right up to this moment. Sands, the tomb, a moon getting killed. How eager Anubis was to help. How Anubis... And then he had it. Something was, in fact, going on here. Another gamble. Another game. He smiled. Finished? Uh, are, are you in a hurry? Asked Gorion. 
The time of gods is not lightly wasted. I only wish to satisfy my curiosity, loathsome worm. Ah, are you are you waiting for me then, a loathsome worm, to release you? Mind your insolent tongue, mortal. Anubis bellowed, shaking the landscape. The bright skies began to dim, and a rumble of thunder began to sound. Oh, drop the act, snapped Dorian. You, I know why you're here, and it doesn't have anything to do with my motives. You're here because you're obliged to be here, and you're trying to trick me into telling you to piss off and so move on to the afterlife. Oh, said Anubis, his voice once again calm and placid. How do you figure that? Back in the tombs and sands, I sacrificed myself to make sure my companions would be able to help Amun secure his throne, but then Amun was mortally wounded by his twisted goddess. I ask that Amun be saved as my last mortal act. After that, I remember nothing except realizing I was brought back and bound to a sword. You asked for a boon, and a boon was granted. What is your point, mortal? Weasel words, said Dorian. I asked for something. You did something, but one doesn't necessarily follow the other. You were already planning on rescuing Amun. And before you pretend to be offended, I already know why you were following that course. Your faith was on the outs in Sands, almost dead, save for a few holdouts, but... Offering patronage to Amun granted you far more than the the power you granted him. The head of a nation, a returning hero, state sponsorship for your fate, not saving Amun. In that moment would have been foolish in the extreme. Ah, uh, but the sword. The sword, yeah. <laughs> Dorian interjected. The sword was nothing, was nothing I asked for. Not, not only that, it was a blasphemy to your own holy code. Imprisoning a soul? What, what did you really put me in there for? A spy? A watchdog? Because it was anything but a boon. For a moment, it looked as if Anubis was going to bow up again, denying Dorian's words. Then the old god relaxed a little, his, a grin spreading across his face. I needed to put you aside for a while. Your soul was still too impure to pass off to other gods with more calamitous goals. And like it or not, you were bound up in the fate of this world. That's a little offensive. But am I wrong? What would you have bargained away to make sure you're... What would you have bargained away to make sure of your companion's success? The god asked. Dorian said nothing. What could he say? Dorian resumed. So, to conclude, you have me here waiting to dismiss you or realize that you still owe me a boon. Which you have, and I do. I have to say, I'm a little relieved. I I thought I would have to challenge you to a game to win back my life. That is still your right as one of the heroic dead. Dorian's eyes widened. Are you saying I can take my boon or wager it for... Double or nothing. 
replied Anubis, his grin becoming extremely appropriate for his face. Two divine boons, or I choose your fate. But you get to choose the game, mortal. It's only fair. Dorian's face became wolf-like as well. In my home country, there is a game played on a world map. It is the ultimate game of conquest and risk. Let us begin. Four conceptual days later, Anubis concedes by flipping the map and scattering all the pieces. Shortly thereafter, a prophet of Anubis receives a strange divine edict, declaring board games that take longer than two hours to play as blasphemy. In the chaotic days that follow the death of Cromwell, there was a concerted effort to track down a viable heir to the throne. Curiously, the records show that there had apparently been a member of his line living in the city for years, a humble tailor named Dorian Honeybriar. When they discovered the half-elven man with dark curly hair, by that name, he claimed to have been living as a sailor for the last seven years. They were shocked to find that he wasn't the same man who had been living and working under his name, and purportedly one of the heroes of Yarnum, but numerous divinations revealed him to be the real article. King Dorian turned out to be an affable man with a good heart who accepted the throne reluctantly, but ruled well and justly. Under him, magic was legalized, and even taught in small schools, the island opened up and became a major trade hub. He fought poverty, ignorance, and in all things sought peace. In his later years, he credited much of his success to his trusted advisor, Dimitri Frost, who had asked him to become a sailor and see the world when he was younger, and became his best friend and later his right hand after he became king, serving as a shrewd diplomat, strategist, and spymaster. Dimitri Frost was lost at sea during a sudden and violent storm at the age of 75. King Dorian reigned in peace and happiness until his death at the age of 116. Beyond that, the world kept going. Every day a new game, every life a new gamble, but those dice will be cast by different hands. Yay! <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's all I got. That was good. You got your damn throne, didn't you? Yeah, I was going to say, wait to make yourself the king. I didn't make myself the king. I made the real Dorian the king. Yeah. I like that. But you were the Dimitri, Dimitri, right? (laughs) Yeah. I can't, like, like, take total hands off kind of Uh That's not in my, that's not in character. All the perks of being a king without being a king. You Mm. know, the advisor. Yeah. (laughs) Heads roll, you can switch sides. Hey, hey, hey. Grand Vizier <laughs> is a very respectable job. Okay. All right, Jafar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dimitri yeah. and his adorable parakeet. <laughs> <laughs> I called him a mum. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Who do I have next? Let's just one last time suffer through Kevin reading. 
Don't worry, it's not long. <laughs> not a expansive writer. He said that twice today. <laughs> oh. The evil undead construct god has fallen. The evil undead construct god has fallen! Dr. Pox exhales and takes stock of what has happened. What it all means. What does it all mean? It means that Dr. Pox has to restart his life. He must rebuild himself. Find who he really is and was. And what it means for his family and for his people who have never been free to go wherever they choose, to do whatever they choose, or uh, true freedom. Dr. Pox leads an expedition to find a suitable region to make their own over the next coming months. After this, his people begin uh, making a new settlement. Dr. Pox starts to allow his vast intellect to wander and wander and to make creations to help this shattered world. Things that would help the world's people come together. Things like a vehicle that could carry hundreds of people across the continent in mere days instead of months. Dr. Pox also noticed that many problems grow from small, the smallest of issues built up into huge conflicts because of the inability to communicate. And thus he created a talk box, a simple device for people to keep in their homes or businesses in order to connect and communicate. With these and many other creations, Dr. Pox forged a new peace amongst the leaders of this bright new world. All right. Dr. Pox, the text mo- tech mogul. So you became... Uh, <laughs> I laughed so hard outside where I was just like, Dr. Pox said, fuck it. I'm making cars and telephones. <laughs> I think trains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was thinking it was more of a train, not necessarily locked to a track. Ah, but... Ferraris and Samsungs. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> well, what else do you want? Toker, he just opened up your world to so much. I know. And the best thing about it is it's so accurate because Edison was a huge rat, too. (laughs) Hey, I see what you did there. Fuck that guy. Wait, is he still around? (laughs) No. Oh, yeah. Fuck that guy. (laughs) What you gonna do? Haunt me, Edison? Suck a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Turn into our new podcast next week because we just shit talk old dead people. All right. I'm in for that one. That sounds fun as yeah. fuck. <laughs> First one's just going to be a re-airing yeah. of the episode where Mahogany talks shit about Sean Connery. Yeah, because fuck the him. same week. We, we got to <laughs> like make sure we have a special episode set aside to be released the day Danzig dies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, we just got to make sure we do our research. <laughs> <laughs> this is shit talking. This is no research. That's yeah, but you got to have it. You got to have ammunition for the shit talk. Oh, well, maybe, yeah. Uh, yeah.
Which uh, Tucker, which episode did we like plug Danzig like for three hours straight? Yeah, so which episode was that? Because <laughs> that's when I started hiding him in the thumbnail. After that, <laughs> you did for a while. Yeah, you. Yeah, and then the I thumbnail. forgot why I was doing it, so I stopped. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, Mahogany loves Danzig. I was like, no, no, there was you a don't reason. Tell people you stop. We he's in every thumbnail between that episode and this one. Find it. Yeah. And we reveal it at the end of every episode. If you we find will not, like, we reveal it somewhere in the episode. And you have yeah. to watch the whole episode to find where we reveal it. There's a clue. It's actually, one of the little zombies. So you got to mm. look very close. Find <laughs> uh, Danzig, you win a prize. Yeah, Danzig is in our thoughts and prayers uh, in every Did episode. Really die? No. Oh. oh, I didn't mean to sound really sad about that. I got something to say. Um. Well. Keep your acting, act, acting chops up, Nim. It's uh, it's your go. This is my go. All right, cool. Um, all right. Um, a great heaviness that had clung to Nim's very soul for what felt like an eternity finally lifted, allowing him to breathe a relief so deep that it had been as if he had been drowning. This malevolent force, a creature that loads his existence, had haunted him since long before he set foot on this accursed island. Its tendrils reached back to the depths of hell, but now, at this moment, it was vanquished. Battered and barely conscious, he rose above the cliff edge. He saw Sonder step forward towards the pit and the unraveling body of the god creature, and then she was gone. A gasp and a piercing cry emerged from within the folds of his robe as Feisty burst forth, streaking Towards the pit's edge, her cries became a song of mourning, a haunting melody of pain and loss that seemed to reverberate throughout the island. Nim's tears streamed down his face and the weariness overcame him. The weight of their actions, the cost of their desperate battle, bore down on him like an insurmountable burden. Collapsing to the ground, Nim felt cold, unforgiving stone beneath him, a stark contrast to the warmth that had once radiated from the camaraderie of his allies. The world swirled a disorienting dance around him, darkness loomed at the edge of his consciousness. At that moment, a pale light emerged, cutting through the encroaching shadows. It was a gentle, beckoning glow that compelled Nim to return to the realm of consciousness. As his eyes cracked open, an ethereal scene unfolded before him. A creature from his dreams, an aeon of the monad. Telepathic thoughts and mesmerizing imagery flooded Nim's consciousness as the aeon addressed him. You have done well. Crucial peace has been played. The restoration of balance to this world has begun, and the effects rippling across the cosmos. Our bargain is fulfilled. The Melian Kelborn, you are free, and yet bound to another choice. Aeon's thoughts faded as it stared into the distance, across the island and the seas beyond. Nim wondered what it saw there and sensed unusual unease within the creature. The stillness was palpable. If, as if the very fabric of reality hesitated in the face of what lay ahead. The Aeon continued, We offer you a boon of understanding, a gift beyond the mere knowledge you crave. But this boon would create an imbalance in this fragile planet that you sought so hard to protect. And so, accepting, you will be removed from here for a time. Should you refuse, know that you, re you will remain here in the world for your remaining lifespan with the respect of the monad creature contorted in a semblance of a bow. Struggling to speak, Nim's thoughts responded, and where would you send me should I accept? 
Aeon's reply was instantaneous. You know, you will know where, and will have the power to travel there yourself, should you accept. Them coughs and blood splatters on the earth. I fear my remaining days here or elsewhere will be given be few given my wounds and broken body. Perhaps, and yet, we must still choose. Grasping, Neil responds, Nim responds in desperation. Then I accept the proffered gift of understanding, for to die without it is not bearable. But first, I would see the fruits of the sacrifices made this day by friends, countrymen, and strangers in the defense of this world and its people. His thoughts drifted to the cube of Jalak Shemin, and also, I would also know the faces of the innocents that paid the price that I judged fair to save this world. The bargain is struck then. You shall have three years on this world. With that, the Aeon reached out and touched Nim's forehead. Strength and healing streaked through his body like lightning. His body convulsed and spasmed and lay in peace with smooth, restful breath. Sweet darkness enveloped him. Some time, perhaps days or weeks later, he awoke on the Monochopsis. In a room filled with wounded. Slowly, careful to let the dizziness of movement subside, he made his way to the ship's deck. In the distance, the battered buildings silhouetted the horizon, familiar buildings and arches of his home. Yarnum still stood. Without thinking, his power surged, and he was standing at the base of the lighthouse that had been his beacon so long ago. After the fall of Ratatama, after the last funerals, the mourning and the tears slowly began to recede. Rebuilding of homes, cities, and countries would last many years. Nimid revisited the entrance to the grove, sat with Tash sharing the pipe smoke in the cool evenings, broke bread with the lords of the dwarven city, and traveled to the hallowed isles to bury a small locket deep in the case beneath. But he always returned to Yarnum, and most days he found himself back in the library, pouring through books for any knowledge of distant plains or of the mysteries of his faith. Time passed slowly, and the words of the Aeon the day of Ritatama's fall and the shadow of a dying god faded from thought. But one morning, as Nim poured over ancient tomes in the great library of Yarnum, he felt the cube of Jalak Shimi stir. He took it out and felt its pull, the desire to be used. He resisted and instead spoke a few words. A small, dimensional space opened and only, only slightly larger than the cube. He carefully placed the cube inside and with only a slight wimp sealed the entrance. He felt the screams of outrage from the cube and then silence were warning to be used, and Nim could not bring himself to use it ever again, or allow it to be used by anyone else. A moment later, the grand clock chimed its cadence of midday. There was no flash of light, no otherworldly presence, no freezing of time or falling darkness. A moment passed, and Nim understood many things. All the knowledge he had consumed linked together. There were still missing pieces of knowledge he had yet to obtain, but he knew where they would fit where they would be found and what they would mean. There were nine books on the study desk before him. He rose from the wooden chair abruptly and as it clattered to the floor, the books, as it, as it clattered to the floor, the books were ancient, accessible only to a few scholars and never to remove, be removed from the library. With a gesture, the books swirled around him and then disappeared. Nim reached down and lifted his travel-worn haversack and slung it over his shoulder. His left hand ran down the elder wood of its staff a few inches before he gripped it firmly. With another gesture, a narrow portal opened before him. A cool breeze and a strange light permeated from the portal. 
After so much time spent in dusty libraries and Jordan keeps, Nim breathed in the pleasant fragrance of air and, and smiled. In the distance through the portal, a great mountain towered, and a small village was nestled by a lake in the valley below. Spicy hovered by the portal with eagerness. He smiled at her, and felt her smile in return. As they stepped through, Nim realized he didn't know where they were going, but understood it was where they were supposed to be. Just as the portal was about to close, Task appeared, reached into the portal, and snatched a book from thin air. The portal snapped closed, and Task smiled. Not this one, not yet. I will see you again. Safe travels. And as he spoke, Tass looked down at the book. On the cover was a worn and faded drawing of a lighthouse, very similar to the one in Yarnum, but the landscape was wrong, and perhaps not even of this world. Bidding Wizard's End. Yeah. There we go. We're going to see the adventures of Task and Nim in the future. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Like that book. Maybe. <clears throat> Well, that's everybody. So good night. All right, good, good night, everybody. <laughs> that's everybody uh, we who have can read. Crowning crown of the evening. All right, Noob, give us the slideshow. All right, can I get the ability to share screen? <laughs> do, it. do it. I'll be so happy. You don't have a slideshow, do you? Come on, we share screen. Uh, we're gonna see a lot of Noob in his underwear. Oh, uh, that's uh, scary. Sometimes you don't already have the ability to share. Oh, maybe screen? I do. Yeah, I don't think I have to. I've trusted everybody here, but the way you That's ask makes me think I've made a mistake. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do we have the rights to this McDonald's own movie? <laughs> Enough, stop. <laughs> well, you know, that is a fitting end for a month, and uh, I applaud you. Uh, I knew that's so how I was going to end. Hey, Benjamin buttoned into a crippled child. <laughs> into a trap devised by a strange alien with a butthole mouth. <laughs> that, that sounds like I'm a... <laughs> anyway, oh, we'll see yeah. you next week. Uh, all right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all. <laughs> uh, it's been here. Clip. I know. This is what softens up my terrible roleplay. Uh It's been years since the fight with the undead god. The effort to rebuild Yarnum was a success. Amun even took the time to turn his old shop into a museum. Inside, you can see artifacts from his old adventuring group. Besides a few baubles in the main room, you can also find an old, an old ornate glaive, a scimitar almost hot to the touch, a blacksmith's hammer still crusty from the blood of the father's daughter, a silk hat with ferret prints in the dust, and a broken silver sword held up by a small, almost invisible wire. The gold that's made from this shop goes back to Saunders' father, sort of a thank you for her sacrifice. Back in the throne room Sands, back in the throne room of Sands, Amun signs a few scrolls, mostly about taxes, roads, and other boring city management. Shout out to Ryan Brown, and then asks them to be alone. Uh, once he pushes the throne, revealing a small vault, he climbs inside a deep chamber of sandstone car- carved depicting murals of Pharaoh's past. In the back is a room holding the real artifacts that are depicted in the museum. 
he sits and begins to mark a circle on a holy symbol of Selkit. Once made, Amun takes a dark scorpion and crushes it in his fist, letting the acidic blood smear into the symbol. A loud voice booms in the room, asking why it was summoned. Amun, in a calm collective, that Amun, calm and collectively, says, Amun, saying calm and collectively, just showing you where I will hang your head once I reach you. The voice says, what makes you so sure? Amun says, I've killed God, so now that Amun says, I've killed a god before, so now I know I can. Selkit laughs, fades, and says, and I'll see you soon. The end. Right. <laughs> nice. You, you got player. through it. Well done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the dog Especially flower like the, 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 is the, not there. Hmm? Well... Oh. I meant to, yeah. You got a, you got a, you got a real cool scimitar, but it's not that one. <laughs> well, you know, in that case. Oh. I love Conan O'Brien. I grew up watching Conan O'Brien and the fact that I've seen that clip probably 400 times because every time um, Paul Rudd Paul Rudd is on there, he builds up like he's going to show a clip and it's always that clip. He still does it like, yeah. to this day. Anytime 20 year, 23 year running gag. Yeah, it's uh, a pretty it's good gag. It's, it's a great gag. And the, the buildups are always fun, and I know where they're going to end with that <laughs> clip, and I watch it and giggle every time. It's like Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. It's never, it doesn't get old. I mean, even if you know it's coming. <laughs> That's exactly how Conan explained it. He goes, he's been doing this to me for 20 years, and I always get so enraptured. Because it was the new um, Don't Always Destroy movie. Please um, don't destroy. Please don't destroy their movie, which is pretty good. But they were on Conan's podcast talking about the movie, and they were supposed to have uh, Paul Rudd came out as like a surprise guest, like he was supposed to be a part of it, and it was just running back and forth. And Paul Rudd made it seem like because of COVID, he had to do all of his uh, line reading to try out for the part on Zoom, and they were going to play those clips from his Zoom reading. (laughs) <laughs> and when they went to go play the clips, it was Mac and me, and we Mac all and knew me. it was going to be Mac and me. But it was still just God. It was it was just so good. <laughs> amazingly, amazingly, that movie, which was just a what eighty minute ad for McDonald's. <laughs> oh, well, there's there's there was and a just budget so bizarre. There's a budget for that movie, okay? And let's say it was. Seventy dollars. Um, <laughs> Fifty-five dollars was spent at McDonald's for one scene with a dancing alien, and it's worth it. It's worth watching the movie now. You can watch the Rift Tracks version of it. However you want, just watch Mac and Me. There's a there's a Good. scene where the the parent alien has a gun, right? Just has <laughs> <laughs> got a revolver. <laughs> it's got it's, it's weird how it's pointed way out. <laughs> oh, 
Did he uh, he robbed the liquor store or some shit? Yeah, well, they were hungry, freaks. Okay, they're <laughs> aliens. The concept of money doesn't. They were at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> oh. They weren't at McDonald's. They were at a grocery store. Just Mac was at McDonald's. Yeah, just Mac went to McDonald's for a birthday. Could you imagine growing up dressed in as a bear where, so he could yeah. dance? Because that's where the kid's birthday party was at McDonald's. I mean, it used to, to be a yeah, it used to be a respectable place. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been to a McDonald's birthday party. They used to have playpens where you could get a pink eye. Birthday at McDonald's. I mean, but you, if you went to Burger King, you got that hat though. <laughs> Mm, crown. <laughs> crown. Yeah, you and got the lo- crown. It's yeah. a long chicken sandwich. Crown. Cardboard Dang. crown. Uh, the long chicken sandwich. That's <laughs> <laughs> the worst noir film I've ever heard. <laughs> the long chicken. I ate one of those just earlier this week. It's good. <laughs> I, I like the long chicken sandwich. It's like it's like a fucking like uh it's like a fucking sink sponge injected with <laughs> With chicken, chicken broth. Because it's fried so crispy. I don't care. If long pork is people, what's long chicken? <laughs> Gross <Pretty> people. people. <laughs> Lizards. Chicken, people you don't wash beforehand. Before you go. Uh, a snake with legs. <laughs> you mean a lizard? A long chicken. <laughs> Oh, oh, anyway, we have devolved into the giggles. That is a fitting end of a three-year-long campaign. We're not done. Yes, oh, we are. We have a special. We have a special guest. Oh, uh, appearance. And by appearance, I mean you can hear them because there's no there's no visual to it. I finished it right before we got started. Oh. The audio. Oh. Two grade school-age dwarves with flowing red beards come bopping down a walkway approaching the door of a house. They're practically identical in look and dress, but the female dwarf has a large purple bow in the sparse hair atop her head. They each hold sticks with the words Action News printed on them, and they're using them as microphones. The boy starts in on a song as they near the door. They knock, and the door opens. Good evening, Yarnum. It's great to be back. Man, oh boy, is it great to be back in Yarnum. I don't know about you, Grathery, but I just could not wait for those dwarven doors to be unsealed and to get back above ground. I know 20 is still grade school age for us dwarves, and it was only like a month or like three months or maybe three years since we went down there, but it felt like forever. I mean, my beard's almost touching the floor. <laughs> Mine too, Grimmily. Mine too. He laughs and tosses his beard over his shoulder. And I miss the wind in the trees, and the sun on my axe, and that fishy smell down by the docks, and, and the news, and the news. So much news. Where do I even start? Remember the town undertaker? That man with the dog hat who always smelled like scorpions you couldn't see? Grethry nods enthusiastically. 
Well, turns out that weirdo is a prince of a far-off land called Sands. What? That's right. And if you think that's strange, I won't even mention where he keeps the scorpions. Anyway, apparently he was friends with a scarred old delinquent and that flashy tailor guy who also turned out to be royalty. They went on a journey to save the world, and they're the only ones who made it back. Lost along the way were the blacksmith's apprentice, the dude who always talked about how much his father's glaive meant to him just before he'd asked you to hold it, and the late proprietor of perfectly normal antiques and pawn. They will be missed. Speaking of perfectly normal antiques and pawn, we welcome the new owner, Winsome. Such a nice man. He and the talkative Miss Cuppy are doing some exciting new things that have the owners over at Swindleton and Sons feeling the heat of competition. Stay tuned to this doorway every night as we bring you continuing coverage of the latest in the lifting of the magic band by the new king, Dorian... Honeybooty? Or something like that. And how that's left the new proprietor of Perfectly Normal Antiques and Pawn particularly poised to corner the market on magical goods. Aye, aye, Grimily. I know I've got my eye on that shiny scimitar that hangs in the center of the display. It radiates a warmth that this reporter cannot resist. <laughs> I hear that, brother. <laughs> Grathery starts up the theme song again as the door shuts in their faces. Can I get that do in a blank audio clip? I can make that happen. Please do. Do do for the record. Akave, Akage always wanted you to hold his father's glaive just so you could feel how smooth the wood was. I'm sure. Yeah. Make it weird at the end. Slide <laughs> <laughs> into home base. Make it weird. You guys all did really good. Uh, I'm going to give each of you a Benny, but that's a lot like giving you coins to showbiz pizza. Um, <laughs> so you all get a Benny. Yay, I'm going to squander it right Benny. now. I have like 27. And nobody remembered the rule that you said that I could have that many, but it costs me five every time I use one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll go on until the next game, too. Well, what are you using so your bennies for? Mine? Nothing. <laughs> I'm just uh, squandering them on um, water. I want water right now. All right, cool. Then can I use my Benny to steal the Dawnfire? No. No. <laughs> you I can have anyway. that plus one scimitar that I had to use instead No, for a while. I'm going to spend all <laughs> my bennies on hooker and blow. Oh, yeah. And Sandra took her like 15,000 gold with her, too. <laughs> she was rich. She didn't spend any money, and you guys never let me spend it on you. So she went to the grave with tens of thousands of gold. I mean, all of Dorian's ex expensive items got sucked into some sort of hell dimension, so. Mm. I'm not even talking about her items. I'm just talking about the gold on hand. <laughs> Cash on hand. Facts of gold. Yeah. How'd she carry all that? Back of holding. All right. Was, uh, yeah. She had a sturdy I, I, back. I think Vladros had maybe 190 gold. 
to get back home. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. He'll be yeah. fine. That's enough to go very well, actually. <laughs> one last, uh, one last epilogue, and then we'll we'll close it out. Okay. <clears throat> Years have passed since the adventures of Sonder, Dorian, Nim, Amun, Bladros, and Dr. Pox vanquished the powers of Ratatuma. Names many now know, and stories of those adventures are still told. You've now heard from each of them of how their stories end, but what impact did the world of Madir have in the long run? One bard in Lith, going by the name Gully, tells the tale of Lamansa and how after being made whole again, took the soul crystals of her fallen giant race to the stars. It's as plausible as any story to explain the new constellations there. Two stars shine the brightest, the lost marriage, they are called. After the turmoil of the heist and the capital of Kraith, that city closed its borders for fear of what the Fae may do to their weakened defenses. The oracles of the ministry speak of a new power in those woods. They whisper words of Rothfuss and dragons. After the rebuilding of Wolfwood Keep, the Paladin King sat there in peace for many decades. In the end, he donned his armor and blade one last time, speaking of an evil left unchecked. He rode a dire wolf into the base of the Fang and was never seen again. South of Lith, a new settlement was formed, consisting of a high ratfolk population. They became famous and prosperous for clockwork constructions. Dr. Pox's Gilborian Craft and Communications Company would change the way the world would travel. In the Kadaimyo era, where young Akage come from, came from, a new form of kata was created. It focused on groin protection and strong weapon grips. The peace and sands didn't last long. They found themselves in a religious civil war. Now with the power to walk amongst the world, it was Sarenrae that ended the war there. She chased Osiris and Selkat and any other of that pantheon from the world of Medir, mostly. That, that pantheon's strongest believers fled deeper into the desert where they found an ancient temple pyramid its construction a mystery, and its inner workings even more so. And then there is Yarnum. You've heard of its new king from Dorian's tale, but what of its people? The dwarves, losing access to the soul crystals, turned to more industrial pursuits, gunpowder and firearms. The brazen bee still to this day serves the community. A Rito Bumfinger found his way to retirement there. Stayed in the same room Master Cullen once lived in. Beneath the streets of Yardum, a cloaked figure with a grinning mask addresses a group of cutthroats and thieves. Amongst them sits a strange robed figure with a gourd for a head. Perfectly normal antiques and pawns stayed perfectly normal. Cuppy found herself sharing the shop with Winsome, who decided this would be a nice place to retire and be close with his lost daughter. And what better way to keep a growing mimic fed than with a pawn shop full of treasure? The dawnflower statue by the door seems to always catch the sunlight, even on cloudy days. 
Lastly, the Undead Isles, once barren of life, now covered in tall trees and glorious flowers, all bright colors, but strong in red, yellows, and blues. When the wind blows, it appears as though the... When the wind blows, it appears as though it's a dancing flame. Atop the spire, the last soul crystal remains. We can hear soft footsteps as a young, dark-skinned boy approaches the crystal. I've made it at last, he says with a near exhaustion, gripping an amulet in his left hand, a symbol of a wandering flame, a new religion to these parts of the world. The young man feels a light hand on his shoulder and turns to see her. Those who know would recognize her, but they've been dead or gone for a long, long time. Everybody roll a d20. Shit, I wasn't prepared for this. Nice. I like this. Mm-hmm. 16. Eight. Seven. Seven. 18. I rolled a 14, and I think the closest was Dorian. Close us out. Thank you for watching and watching the entire campaign. If you'd like to know more about what we do and where you can find our various products, please check the box below. And um, I'd like to thank Toker personally for running a, a very long campaign and doing uh, an amazing job. You've, you've done great. I know uh, it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, don't, don't, don't be shy. Don't be humble. Lap it up. You deserve everything. You, you, we, we will congratulate you on probably in private, a way where it won't be uh, recorded. You know, um, surely, surely we will congratulate you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and not, so and not be a bunch That's of ingrates. Really <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you all in the next campaign. Thanks yeah. for watching, everybody. Good night. Hey, bye. bye. Can I get that do in a blank <laughs> audio clip?